Welcome to Tom and Jack having the crack, a irreverent look at the week's news and politics. Uh, all right, mate, what's been, uh, what's, what's been on your radar? What's, what's, what's been going on? Now, uh, one of the things I saw recently um, that I found very interesting is not getting a lot of the airtime is the amount of nurse vacancies in the mm. NHS. Now, the last time I saw this, I remember a couple of years ago before the pandemic, it was about 10,000 or something like that. It could have been 10, 20,000. And I remember thinking that was pretty shocking. Mm. I've seen recently that it's 110,000 now. Jeez. Yeah. Full-time vacancies. Huh? Full-time, like full-time positions in need. Well, it, 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 it didn't say it. So maybe some of them are part-time, some of them are full-time. But like, it's still a massive amount of vacancies within it. So, you know, um, like I'm in pharmacy. There's a lot of vacancies in pharmacy too at the minute. Like, I, I don't think it's as chronic as it is in nursing. But uh, I think a few, a few different things have happened. I think um, older people, the pandemic has burnt a lot of people out in health. Massively burnt. I was talking to someone the other day, like, for years in, in health, you know, people are always trying to get you to work at 100%, go the extra yard, you know, mm. and, and, and really, if you were working, if you were operating at 100%, which a lot of people in the NHS were prior to the pandemic, you, then you had to deal with that extra bit. Um, my, my thing now, I, I wouldn't be saying it too publicly, but my thing now is always operate at 80%, you know what I mean? Just about what you're doing. You have to keep slack in the system like i remember the first lockdown like i was working in pharmacy there's i had five members of staff and i lost four of them in 24 hours so mm. i i was lying in bed at six o'clock and i just thought i just got up and i just went to work because i was like i better start doing something and then i started because uh, <laughs> i had two people who were going to have to do the work of six people and then i i started um i i was so lucky i uh, look i was lucky because the schools and universities were closed i had students who had worked very, very minutely in, for me in the past. I rang them up and I said, what are you doing? And, and they came and worked for me. Um, so I, I think there's been a lot of early retirement. I think people who had a couple of years left to, to just talk, do you know what? The last few years are so tough. Um, I'm going to retire early. Um, mm. I think there's been career changes. I think people have genuinely been burnt out, uh, yeah. which is... I think, which, which is which is sad. Like I think people have like and and then I think uh, clearly nobody is looking at health and thinking that's something I want to do. Now I, I I don't know if this is as much the case with nurses, but certainly with pharmacists, there's a bit of a truck driver thing here where you know we've been listening for 10, 15 years about how we're going to be replaced by robots and AI, and everyone's sort of gone, okay, well if we're going to be replaced, let's start moving into roles that aren't going to be robot and AI. And mm. then the machines haven't come yet. And now, what, what, the leaders are going to come back and say, oh, well, can you not come back and wait until we get the machines to replace you? And yeah. then you can yeah. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, um, I, I, honestly, like, I've been joking about it, but, like, you know, there, there's no, everyone knows, like, there's no appeal to being a nurse. Well, not, there's no, like, there is some appeal, but, like, it just the 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 whole social contract there has yeah. to has to change. Like, you think you know it, I mean? it's a vocational position, uh, isn't it? In a lot of ways, like you're doing it because you want to help people. You're doing it because you feel like this is a, a worthwhile um, pursuit in life. And then there's also that like, there's the 
economic job aspect to it as well. But like you say, if you take away someone's um, ability to do it because they're burnt out all the time and the feeling they're being appreciated um, for what they're doing, it's really hard to to understand why more people want to want to go into it. Yeah. Now, one one thing I think the, the uh, jobs like nursing has to do, and I think that there is an element of it. I, I I know there's some kind of element of it, but there should be helping people out with housing. Like they used to. Stop it. I think there is a little bit of it. I think they, they will, they, they might, there is a little bit of subsidy, subsidy there. But like, I think the, the trust, these hospital trusts, they've got loads of land. Come on, mm. They should be building houses for, the, for their staff. And that would be a massive carrot to get people into it, you know? Woman, because the other option, yeah. I suppose the Tory option, is you go to a poor country, show them videos of the opening ceremony at the Olympics and a couple of videos of the Queen and get yeah. them on a plane and bring them over. Like, I think that's the Tory option, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, uh, just just very very controlled immigration plan. Very, very <laughs> just this postcode, this postcode, yeah. this uniform, and that's fine. It's not slavery. It's it's not, not slavery. I don't know. Who, I don't know who. I don't know who mentioned that, but it's not that. <laughs> in case anyone was, in case no no no, very yeah. different because you will eventually get some money. It won't be enough to live necessarily. But there will be money in your bank account. Like, I, I don't know what happened in like in, in Hackney, like where I live. There used to be a, a, a housing project that was like lovely, like semi-detached, like suburban houses, and they were all attached to Homerton Hospital. And then I remember a few years ago when, when my brother was looking around, one of them was available on the market. And I remember thinking, like, oh, that makes me feel horrible. That obviously they're obviously they're now publicly available just to buy. Yeah. Yeah, well, every, every, everything is everything is publicly available to buy. Um, the housing, I, I think the whole Russian thing is interesting too with the housing. Uh, yeah. Because, like, they're not really going to do the sanctions the way they do the sanctions. But you, you start to realise how much illicit money has corrupted our property market. It, it's propped it up. Like, the, the whole... I was saying this to my, to my sister, and she was like, really? I was like, yeah, like... The whole premise of London property is um, a Russian oligarch or someone, someone with a huge amount of money buys in like Belgravia or Sloan Square. And then it just gets a bit more expensive everywhere, 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 and just ripples out across the city. Mm, yeah, completely. And that, that's completely. why property is priced the way, same in New York, like, so that's why property is priced the way it's priced. It's not because there's some amazing uh, natural phenomena happening in the city. It's like, no, if all these dudes buy up like this property, it means everyone else wants to be near it so it gets more expensive to be near it simple as yeah that. They, they, i said last i was saying last night uh, instead of sanctions on russia yeah. what we should do is flood their property market with uh illicit money and then yeah. you know create unaffordable housing and create a generational divide in russia and just let them implode in a civil war because because <laughs> because russians have never had to deal with Poverty and inequality before. <laughs> That's <a very> <laughs> well, no, the property thing, I suppose the property thing is, is, is different. But like, it, it just looks like a complete game, you know, like they've, they've flooded, the, they've artificially created the market, that created the divide. Then they had, it's come out now that, you know, there was a guy who infiltrated UKIP, there was a guy who infiltrated the Tory party, and they were both working towards Brexit. And, and one of the guys even tweeted that when Brexit happened, we won. So, you know, they've created this divide. 
and they've capitalized it. They've moved Britain away from Europe. Now they've invaded a country in Europe. Yeah. And, and the, the whole thing they were hoping for that they probably underestimated is that the, the, there's been more of a united front than, than, than they were probably anticipating. Um, you know, but they, they, they were all strategic moves. Um, yeah. But I do, oh, I, I think we're back in a cold, like a serious Cold War era. Like, yeah. I, think, I think the threat of serious war is going to be with us for a long time. Do you see there's um, an, an economist YouGov poll came out, I think, like two days ago about people's people's willingness to fight? Yeah. So it was like, I think 50, 60 percent of people were in favor of sanctioning Russia with like 27 percent saying, I, I don't know. And it was only like 10 percent said it's not a good idea. But when it came to fighting, like, should we be fighting? 80%. No, 16%. 16%. Yeah, one six. Yeah. Okay, that's good though. I think that's I think it's good. good. But, but I was it was interesting. So I've also seen a lot of uh, comics posting clips about like you know, if I was conscripted, this is how I would get out of it. Like Chris Stefano, a big American comedian, had a big viral clip where it was like, I would instantly identify as a woman, 100 percent instantly. If like Freddie Quinn did the same joke. I saw Freddie Quinn did the same joke. Yeah, yeah. And I just but, think but, go on. But okay, look, so you're saying, okay, so Britain has a population of 60 million, right? So it's 10%, say 10%, that's 6 yeah. million people. Mm-hmm. You, you only need a million people to fight and we are all in, you know, like you don't need a lot of people to fight to absolutely bring everything down. Oh, no, of course not. But I, I think I think the, the interesting thing that I thought was the general public attitude. I was thinking about previous, like World War II, for example, because everyone talks about it as a world war, right? Rather yeah, than- yeah. You're, you're sort of talking about more sensibly as like a Cold War style conflict where there's the threat of... of the threat, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 which is probably more true. But obviously in the media it gets portrayed as like World War Three. And I was thinking about World War Two and like how people's attitude to fighting was like, yeah, of course, like we're all going to fight. We're all going to go. And then like, yeah, oh, I don't think... It, I, I think there's a bit of whitewashing there and there's a bit of rose-tinted glasses. I, I don't think people were ever... I don't think there was ever majority favour for wars. Ever, so you, so you think that's a, a complete repainting of history? Yeah, like because I, I, I well, I, as I'm telling you, I've been reading this book about Napoleon recently. Like, and you know, it's just constant war. But the way people got the country to fight the war was by promising that this war will bring peace. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? Yeah, <laughs> it's such a kind of paradox. But like the way that the the, the, the like people like Napoleon got their countries to back wars was by promising them that this would be the war that would finally bring peace. And I, I've no doubt that during World War II, that there was plenty of people who were like, you know, in little towns and villages going, let's not fight this war. Like, Johnny, don't go off, you know, like, don't well, be gone. The way I've always understood it, like the way, the way it worked for my granddad was, it was kind of a two pronged thing of massive social pressure, peer pressure, because yeah. there, there wasn't anything else. We have so many more. I, it's funny because I think I was compare. I was drawing a parallel in my head to the way we've all, not all, but the way the, the way the Western world thought about COVID, for example. I think it's quite, quite a lot of similarity in that when in the 1940s or like pre-World War One, I think in the in the teens, um, I just don't think you thought of your life as as precious. You weren't, you weren't, you didn't have all these, all these expectations for your life. You didn't have all these 
thoughts about like what your life could be and all his aspirations. No, 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 no. Yeah, there was none of that. There was none of that. It, it was much more like, what else are you gonna do? Like, what? Like, we're all, yeah. we're all gonna go, we're all gonna go fight, and you're gonna be the one who stays at home. And like, what, what else are you doing when you're here? You, you did what you had to do. Well, like Ireland's a good example. World War One, two hundred thousand Irish men fought for the British Army during mm. World War One at a time when there was British occupation in Ireland, and the majority of those men would have hated the British Army and loads of them are on right and, and some of them came back and fought against the British Army afterwards mm. but they did it because it was the only reliable source of income mm-hmm. they got well paid to be in the army they didn't have any many options and it was basically that was how they fed their family so yeah. you know I, pre, like, pre-penicillin pre-antibiotics there was so many life was so much more dangerous and so much more fragile that the prospect of fighting in a war, I think, was the gap between regular life and fighting in a war was probably... Well, it wasn't... Yeah, and, and sometimes... Whereas yeah, now we're sort of... Yeah, we're so fed. Now. Yeah, we're so comfortable now that the gap, the gap between oh, my yeah, yeah, life yeah. and a war is so stark compared to what it would have been for our grandparents. But there, there is still... There's still plenty of people who... who wow. There's still plenty of young people who, who would love to fight a war. Like, they... They love the idea, you know, they buy into the whole romanticism of it. They, you know, they're alpha males. They like fighting, you know, there's, there's plenty of people who like fighting. <laughs> like, you know, like fighting. Imagine, there, if, imagine if that like was like a cabinet meeting. Like, I don't know, I think well, there's plenty of people who like fighting. I think we can go to some of these towns. Yeah, I, 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 I definitely think there is. I think, and, and I think, I think the, the war in Ukraine is really interesting because I've seen a few, um, you know, kind of opinion pieces of, of retired British soldiers who are going off to Ukraine to mm. fight. You know, the, the, the government had to say, listen, if, you, if you're in the British Army and you go to Ukraine to fight, you'll be court-martialed. We don't want you doing that. And, and I think what's quite interesting is I, I knew people who fought in, in Iraq and Afghanistan and, you know, they, you know, they joined the, when, they, when they were first going off to fight. They, they said they were looking, you know, they, they had joined the army because they wanted to fight wars. Now, one of the difficulties there was that there was that sort of cognitive dissonance where they're like, should we be fighting this war? You know, mm, mm, and, mm. But, but I think if you were the type of person who grew up wanting to fight a war, to fight Putin is a much nicer yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. experience for yourself internally than to have gone to Afghanistan or, or, or Iraq, where you're then kind of wondering, oh, are we really, you know, because you were told you were going over to be a liberator and then you're getting there and you're like, no one's acting, you know, they did for a little while, but now they don't want us here. And, and you know, you're a bit confused. Whereas I think if you were in Ukraine fighting Putin, you'd be like, they do want us here fighting. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I'd feel a lot better about it. If I was someone who wanted to fight a war, I'd feel a lot better yeah. about it. But the reason I think, I just think the whole, I think China's just in the background here from the whole thing. And I, that's why I think we're in, I just think we are in, I, I think we're in a couple of decades of China trying to become top dog. Did you see that they've recently um, pulled back? So there was a period of Chinese expansion where they welcomed Google, welcomed Facebook, welcomed any Western company that wants to trade in China because it would it inflated their economy. And they started to, and I think the narrative sort of from 2010 to 2020 was like, China is more or less wedded now to Western economies because they need our products and services, yada, yada, yada. And I think in the last like four or five years, maybe three or four years, 
they've started to um, ban American technology companies. They've also limited their own technology companies. So I think they've they've seen like how big Facebook and Google got in the US. And then yeah. that's why Jack Ma from Alibaba has been like taking, you know, put, put, yes. put, in a, put in a dark room for a little while. So like, you're not going to be bigger than the state. That is not our 25 year plan. Our, mm -hmm. Basically like our 25 year plan is not for our economy to be the be all and end all. And whatever it takes to grow that is what we'll do. We have a much bigger, more um, thorough worldview on where China needs to be. And you're going to stay in your little box and you're going to contribute to what the party needs. Yeah, the, the party comes first. They, they say that the guy now, Z or whatever his name is, um, is the most powerful guy since... Xi uh, Jinping. Since, is that his name? Xi He's the most powerful guy since Chairman Mao. So he, yeah. the, the whole thing has been restructured. And that openness towards the West is now closing off. They, it, it, look at it. I don't want to be too cynical about it, but it was probably a case that we'll get them in, we'll learn how to do all their stuff, and then we'll get, we'll get rid of them. Because why, um, why wouldn't you? If you, if you? From their perspective, if you're trying to win on their team, why wouldn't you do, you know, why wouldn't you do that? And they're creating... They, they, people who've been in China now say they, they've, they are and have created this super surveillance state that just... We have never seen the likes of it before, and it, it is very, very different to how we are living. They have, they have turned very much away from us. Um, yeah, and I don't think that's talked about enough. I think you're absolutely right that, that they've they've picked a different path, and it, and you wonder sometimes if Western governments, in order to compete with China long term, it's going to be a very interesting choice. Because do you become a bit more like them? You know, if you're like, oh, the only way we can compete is if we have a similar level of control over our populace, or do you try and fight it by going the opposite way? And that's, that's going to be a huge... huge yeah, it, it'll, be a, it'll, be, it'll be a real clash of values. I, I, I don't think we'll go their way. I think there'll be incredible resistance here to a surveillance state. You say that. I mean, people were very... I know it, I know it was a global health, um, you know, huge global health issue. But the, the, the readiness with which people have given up rights during. Yeah, but I, yeah, I, I don't, I, like there is, there is that paranoia there. The other side of it too is, as someone who's met like leaders in the West, I don't think they want it. I don't think the leaders want it. I don't think, <laughs> I, I don't think our leaders are that way of kind. Like any, any high-end politicians I've ever met, they wouldn't want to live in a in a society like that. They wouldn't want to. Do you know what I mean? They're not. I don't think they're. I, I don't think it's like I do think you know we do have we do have some values. <laughs> I do think we do have some values. Yeah, I know what you mean. It, it's hard. It's hard sometimes. You think if you pushed it all the way to the end game, would would they just do what? Would a Western politician just do what was ever most expedient? You, I, I sometimes wonder, I, so they wouldn't do it all at once, I don't think. It wouldn't be like they make a grand... Oh, no, it'd be incre incremental, yeah, yeah. And you wonder if, like, how can they ever get out of this cycle of pandering or short-term fixes and these this that cycle... It's not a conscious thing, it's just that, that cycle of short-term fixes lead you down a garden path where you look back and you're like, how the fuck did we end up with ID cards? And it was because people were saying... Because you need to be able to identify people who commit hate speech. And, and if we can't stop these people in the street now, you, you, you wonder if like little things lead you down a path you don't want to be.
Yeah, yeah, it can it can happen. You know, well, it's the whole frog in the frog in the boiling water, isn't it? It can happen. Yeah. and you don't realize you're being boiled. Um, and there's that. If you look at, I think, um, yeah, a lot of time in the past, uh, a lot of good social progress in countries in the past happened because of enemies. So, like, yeah, a lot of times, you know, populations got well educated and well looked after because we had an enemy that we we were like okay we need we need healthy educated people and and maybe that with china thing we might start looking after ourselves and looking after our economies a a bit better and and maybe we might start doubling down a little bit more on what our true values are what our best things are yeah that's a great point ad, ad hoc sort of yeah, exactly. Rather than like futzing around the edges of like, what do they need? What do they need? You just double down on the things that make Western civilizations interesting, attractive, fun places to yeah. be. Useful, useful places, powerful places to be. Like, I guess like America, look at America during the Cold War, like during the 80s and 90s was like the most dominant cultural force in the world. Oh, huge. Yeah. Everyone was in love with America then. Yeah, yeah, and it was, and I, I think, like to your point, they do they really now it it could express it itself in some ugly ways, but I guess like chanting like USA, USA at the Olympics, and that becoming like a thing after the '84 Olympics, and just being a you know, like you said, America being super attractive to the rest of the world and exporting this one thing they had, which was freedom. Now you can obviously decide, you know, how free are Americans and how useful is freedom, et cetera, et cetera. But it was a very attractive product to ship. Yeah, yeah. Around the around the world, and then, you know there was against, one time against when, Russia, like to your point, like there I, was I, one time when there was one time when ordinary workers in America were better treated than anywhere else in the world. Like there, there, there's a reason Irish people aren't idiots. Like there was a reason all the Irish people were flying over to America. It was because you went over, you got a normal enough job, and you got well paid, and you could own a house, and you could have a family. And you know there was a time when you know it it, it was a, it was a good place to go and make a good living, like. Yeah, and you wonder if, if, uh, if as yeah, Western economies, we just get back to thinking about that, and that's our best defense against our actual best defense against someone like China is to make our countries super attractive again, make them better again. Yeah, yeah. And um, don't say great. Oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> He's got me. He's got me. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> He's flipped me. <laughs> Little hat, little, little little hat comes off camera. <laughs> yeah, you said about that uh, that athlete who choo- who chose China yeah. over America, like that stuff. That like these these kind of things that that can can make the difference, you know. Um, I tell you an interesting one though. Do you know you know like this? One of the big problems in America is you have this uh, massive disparity between what CEOs are and mm. what normal workers own, right? Yeah. Do you know who kind of you know it's an Irish guy who kind of started that? No it's a guy oh. called he's still he's still alive, right? It's a guy called Tony O'Reilly. He he played rugby for Ireland, he played rugby for the Lions. Uh, interesting fact about him, he played more games and scored more tries for the Lions than he did for Ireland. I think he only ever had one cap for Ireland, which is quite a bizarre kind of thing. Yeah. But he he was an incredibly suave, sort of impressive guy. Like I said, he was a brilliant after-dinner speaker. But he became the CEO of Heinz 
like Heinz beans, Heinz ketchup and all that. I think he was the first non-family member to become. And he was so, um, they were so gone in all of them, the family, that they sort of allowed him to do whatever he wanted. Mm. And he, 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 he had companies in Britain and Ireland. So he owned Waterford Crystal. He owned uh, Wedgwood. Is that, you know, like kind of China? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he owned Wedgwood. He owned uh, Independent. He, owned a, he had a newspaper thing. So he had all these different companies that normally CEOs wouldn't be allowed to own different companies, but they let him own different companies. And because his companies were always sort of struggling, they always needed in, injections of cash. He kept up on his CEO pay so he would have money to pump into these companies. And then, I, and then I think a lot of other CEOs saw that he got away with it. And then they all started doing it. No way, really? Yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. Ireland's first born billionaire. And Irish people causing all the trouble, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> going to... that's, that's true. Like, he was the first guy to start to really inflate yeah, his right. uh, CEO earnings. And it was because... He was like, I need, I need a million pounds put into our, our the company's gone bust. And it was just, he was just in survival mode with all these companies mm. for a long time. And, it, and in the end, all his companies went bust. Like, <laughs> so he had a, he had a nice, he's like, he's just basically going down a roller coaster of a career, just like, wee. Yeah. So he, he just brought everyone down with him, really. Yeah. You know what I mean? So in the end, everyone was equal. A great after dinner speaker. Say <laughs> <laughs> what you will about Tony, he can spin a yarn. <laughs> can't, yeah. can't, can't manage a balance sheet, but he can spin a yarn. Seemingly one of his, one of his uh, famous reoccurring jokes was he used to always say that whenever Rupert Murdoch was at an event that he was at, because he had a bit of rivalry with Rupert Murdoch, he used to say that uh, someday... He would have as much money in the bank in his bank account. His dream in life was to have as much money as Rupert Murdoch owes. <laughs> yeah, that was his, that used to be his joke. But to be fair, I think Rupert got the last laugh on that one. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I think he's still he's still going, isn't he, Rupert Murdoch? Oh yeah, yeah, he's out survived a lot of he's out survived a lot of people. Like you know, he's one... Robert Max was doing oh, yeah. like yeah, yeah. Murdoch's one of those fellows that makes you believe in like drinking of baby blood and like adrenochrome. Like, you know what I mean? If, if, if you found out like he was injecting himself with some experimental serums derived from endangered. Ah, I don't see that. You know, his, like his, his thing was his dad had a, a media company. Right. A small media company. Now regional, but like still, you know, good money like for people like us good money you know but like but um i think his dad died and i think the story goes that the the board rupert should have inherited his dad's shares and the board screwed rupert so he got screwed out of his dad's mm. um you know his, so he got screwed out of what rightfully his and i think that kind of set that kind of then set his mindset you know so then there's sort of that. And, and I think that makes that makes him make sense. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, that permanent, you know, chip, permanent chip on your shoulder. Chip, the chip on the shoulder. He's mm. been fucked over. He's got a young man. He's sort of going to have this attitude. No one's ever going to fuck me over again. Do you know what I mean? So I think that. And, and that's usually how these kind of things happen, Oh, yeah. You know? 
Like when I was Conor McGregor, you know, Conor McGregor, he had the thing where he was bullied in school and he brought a crowbar to school to defend himself and then he got suspended from school. So he said that's the, when he decided to become a fucking monster. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, you know, it's that whole thing, like, you know, diamonds are created under pressure. So it's, it's some event has triggered mm-hmm. this, you know, kind of thing in them, you know? Yeah. And I think to be a CEO of anything, you have to be a little bit of a psychopath. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Or, or something, something, some lack of some event. Some lack, yeah. I think, like, you have to have something has to have pushed you to the point where your empathy um, decreases because to make the kind of decisions they have to make, you can't yeah. actually weigh up all the risks and balances, really, because it's too much. It's too much to consider, too much to think about. You just have to, like, have a vision and uh, and uh, uh, Hutzpah to execute on the yeah, and it probably gets easier. I'd say that, but from a psychological point of view, yeah. you're making inhumane decisions. You know, the first one is like, oh God, you know, I fired one person. You're like, oh Jesus, like, yeah. Two years later, you're like, yeah, 10,000. You know what I mean? I'd, I'd love it if that was the advice. Or maybe that's what Tony O'Reilly was saying in his after dinner speeches. If you need to make inhumane decisions, just make a lot of them. Just make a lot yeah, of them. Yeah. Well, I, 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 do, I, I, I very much buy into that i think no matter what you do i think well there's that whole thing once you do something once you're twice as likely to do it again so once you kill once you're you're now way more likely to kill again than someone who's never killed and yeah and better at it maybe better at it yeah but it, i i saw that thing though before like you know that a huge percentage of successful people have had an unhappy childhood like that okay. drive the drive to become success like they're it has to come it kind of has to come from someplace you know so, yeah and and like if you've had a really charmed upbringing like where's the drive well i think they're the ones you have to really watch out for i think the people who've had a happy childhood or a happy upbringing and and still have that maniacal fury to succeed oh well they're the psychopaths so that's trump yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah well they're the, because then they're because they're then doing it for for vanity rather than um you know i suppose like a lot of people will, a lot of people will do it for you know there, there might have been some kind of instability or insecurity so they're looking for stability security that's ever elusive they mm-hmm. that nothing's ever enough so there's a bit more of a logic to that rather than someone who who's just the narcissist main mm-hmm. person yeah so i um one of the companies i used to do advertising for was An- anheuser-busch that big beer conglomerate the, oh, um, Budweiser. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so, right. So, Budweiser is a big brand, but the company is much bigger than Budweiser now because they got bought by a, a Brazilian conglomerate, like a Brazilian banking team. And it was four guys, all of whom grew up in the flavors of Rio. Wow. All of whom were self made millionaires, right? Just and these guys all have pots of money that like their wives don't, don't have access to just the other four guys have access to and it's it's like quasi mafia shit and they had built up this brewery empire in south america because they're, they're basically a mergers and acquisitions team that just happened to merge and acquire breweries and ruthless and they flew to america to see budweiser and it's august bush the third family-run company right for like 150 years they fly in there 
and like we want to buy your brewery and august bush the third gives him a tour and he's like i just wanted to show you around the company you'd never own go fuck yourself like this is an american yeah. company like piss off back to brazil these four lads then set about contacting every single significant shareholder in anheuser-busch and being like this is the remuneration package we're willing to offer you if you let us buy the company yeah they bought some shares they attend the next shareholders meeting they call for a vote of no confidence on august bush the third who's like what this is my company my name's on the fucking building like, what are you talking about and all the shareholders are like yeah no confidence and they kicked him out of his own company and just took over one of the most iconic institutions in america just through sheer bloody mindedness of this is what we do. We merge and acquire companies. It don't fucking matter how big you are. We're, we're tougher than you. Most ruthless thing I'd ever like been in terms of like proximity to it. Most ruthless thing I'd ever like encountered or seen or been around it was wild. What is wild? Like see happening. Yeah, that's yeah. mad. Like that's the, that's proper hostile. Take it. Well, that, that, that I, I guess this will this with Russia's move here now. There'll be a bit more. I've always, I'm not, I, I don't know fully, but I think France and Germany have always been a bit more protective of, of who can take over certain companies, whereas mm -hmm. Britain has been just like, we'll sell you fucking MI5, do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, if you've got, you know, there's been no, uh, whereas I think France and Germany have a thing where if the company is of strategic importance, yeah, which is a very broad term. And can be defined by each government, I would, I would imagine. Each government. Yeah, you yeah. can't you can own there's certain companies that cannot be sold outside. You see it now with the, the, the Dubai P and O ferries. Right. By crowd in Dubai. Have you seen this? No. But they've just fired eight hundred staff. Just fired them. Wow. And they have agency staff ready to come in and take their jobs. Yes, yeah, you sure. know, so <laughs> Well, it's, it's, I think it's, it's funny. I saw like a, like a BBC pack like story or something about oligarch money in London, like dirty money in London. And the number of people who are just like, I think it's absolutely shocking. I had no idea this was happening. While they're like lighting their cigar with like 50 pound notes. Like these, these things don't happen by accident, do they? Like, they don't happen without anyone knowing. Like when you sell PO cruises to a Dubai conglomerate, you, you know. To some extent, what you're giving up, like you know what you're. Yeah, well, there, there, there's the book Moneyland, and he, which is all about offshore accounting and all this and money laundering and everything, and you know he says when you do the index of the most corrupt countries in the world, like you know Russia will come up high and everything, but but he says, which is a fair argument, he says the lawyers, the accountants, um, and the financiers who make it all possible. Are all in Britain and America. Yeah, of course. So he argues that Britain and America are, are the corrupt ones because without that army of professional, respectable mm -hmm. people, yeah, it couldn't happen. Oh, of course. And that's where back to your earlier point about China, that's where you would think if they if they had a bullseye of what the weaknesses of let's just say Britain and America, it's greed. It's greed, openness, greed, yeah, yeah, the freedom. This because we're willing to, we are willing to sell off Budweiser to anybody, or we are willing to take a, you know, a lawyer's fee to broker any deal with anyone. Any, any deal, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what they say. They say they're, they say they're actively exploiting weaknesses in other countries. Um, I don't know if it's true. I heard that they they really 
try to probe race in America. They see race as America's okay. Achilles heel. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like, it's like a fault line. You can split the country. Yeah, that's it. That's what they see. Uh, uh, but they they definitely see our freedom of expression as a weakness. So they they they're infiltrating our media. Because if you think about it, before social media, that it wouldn't have been as much of a weakness. Because yes, everyone has an opinion, but not everyone could uh, publish it. And therefore, not everyone could read it, which means, therefore, you couldn't build consensus as quickly. Mm. Whereas now, I think you can, if you were, you know, what well, it's been proven, hasn't it, that foreign entities are constantly trying to do this. The reason it's so effective, I think, is because you can surface like a million people who feel the same as you, which gives it a sense of truth, gives it a sense of, uh, gives it a sense of veracity that it wouldn't have had if you could, because you would never been allowed on TV, you would never been allowed in a newspaper with that opinion. You know? Yeah, yeah, there was, good, there was more gatekeepers. Now, I've got a good one for you, right? So RT has lost its British broadcasting license. You see that? Russia yeah. Today. Wow. It's just during the week. But a couple of years ago, they, they were on about making comedy shows, and there was a lot of comedians applying and jockeying for things. So, like, I put it to you now, Tom. RT comes along and says, we got a Saturday night show. <laughs> we want to we give you your own kind of live at the Apollo show. Like, uh, that's, you know, and, and I think we all have been kind of conditioned a little bit a few years ago mm. that, oh, take any opportunity you get. No mm. one was even questioning like if you said to people, oh, I don't think you should do something for RT. It's it's a mm. propaganda channel of a rogue state. Mm. I I think comedians would be like, mm. what's the like? What's the? People would be like, you're just jealous. People are like you're just yeah, jealous. exactly. You're just hating on me. Just hating on me. They haven't got the opportunity. And um, it's it, gonna hate. You know, people. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you think? Do you think that in comedy, like a few years ago, or in any any form of entertainment, a few years ago? people would have been genuinely like, yeah, you, you just got to take the opportunities where they come. Whereas oh. now, you don't think that. Well, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I It'll be interesting to see how the war changed. I, I read a thing years ago, which which was saying that like China was going to places like South America and it was going to like the BBC correspondent in say Argentina and going, listen, how, how much, you know, there's cutbacks in the BBC. You don't have much of a budget. How much are you getting paid? Come work for us. We'll give you three times your wage. You have a double the budget, same job. You won't have to do anything differently. And and what they say is they'd say that the Chinese state wouldn't directly interfere with you editorially, but you kind of knew there was things that you couldn't really say. So in that sense, the, the you know the, there was psychological manipulation, and they're causing you to self-center. But yeah, yeah, I I think the day before the Ukrainian war, there would very much have been an attitude that you take every opportunity you get. And I think if you were, if you had gone on a comedy forum and called people out who took money from Russia, Saudi Arabia, it doesn't matter who to perform there, you'd be seen as someone who had sour grapes, was a bit bitter and was just envious or jealous that you didn't get the opportunity. That might change. So that's, that, that's what I find interesting. I, I, relatively recently, it was, I was on a show with a couple of, a uh, couple of people who were sort of saying some, some, something very similar to what you just said. 
And they were saying, oh, but like, you know, in, in America, for example, like a lot of comics go on Fox News. A lot. Because they can say wild things that they want to say. They get paid. They just, I mean, I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking panel. They do like, you know, guest, they'll yeah. do a guest spot on a show. Just to say, like Tim Dillon used to do it all the time before he got really famous. Um, just to, because it was a fun way of getting paid to say wild stuff. And they're like, oh, you, I would never, ever do that. And I was thinking like, well, why, why not? Why is it your, as an entertainer, why is it your responsibility to stand in for the morality of any given medium that you're working through? Because like, I don't agree with what a lot of Facebook and Instagram does, but I'm posting my clips. So like, where's yeah, the... Where's the, where's the objective? There's, there's a, I think there's a line that makes people feel cozy and comfy and morally correct, but I don't think it's a very strong intellectual argument for why one's better than the other. Well, that's why we are the decadent uh, West, Tom, and that's why the rest <laughs> of the world <laughs> thinks that we have no morals or ethics anymore and we just take the money and we don't care who we do business with. And, and that's kind of how we got into this mess in the first place. I think... I think now this could be a generalization. Uh, I, th- I think there's certain parts. I think other parts of Europe, mm. and I think I'm thinking Eastern Europe, and I think maybe French, German men are a little bit better at this than us. Yeah, because okay, um, you know you're going on Fox News, but you are feeding the beast. Like you, you know you are. You going on it is is helping them in some way. Like you know, obviously one person, one comedian. Saying, yeah, I'm not going to go on Fox News because I don't believe in what you did, and I think what you've done to my country is terrible. Isn't going to make a difference. But if all comedians started around in that thing, that then it can make a difference. You know, it can, and I'd be fine with it, provided they also had the same feelings about TikTok, and provided they also had the same. Do you know what I mean? Like, provided they interrogate, yeah. like, if they, if they, <clears throat> if their stance is, I will not give any credence to people doing morally questionable things, then you, I just think you've got to keep the same energy. Yeah. And then it, and then it becomes, well, you can't go immediate then at all because there's no. That's what, that's what I mean. And, I, and, I'm, <laughs> and, I'm, and also, I'm fine with someone saying, I don't know, just don't like them very much. And that's fine, but just I guess where where I get slightly like hmm, is when you try and dress it up in this pseudo intellectual argument about morality. And it's like it's not that you just don't want to be part of that team, and that's fine. That's that is completely yeah, yeah. fine. That's a legit thing. No worries. I wouldn't push back or like ask you to explain that any further. Just don't tell me it's a moral thing when you're very willing to do other things that you could point the same accusation at. Yeah, I come back in you there because like humans are complex and they're multifaceted and and i i think if you hold people too much to oh you don't do that then you shouldn't do that then then you, you you're kind of creating the you're, you're kind of basically saying to everyone that you either be an angel or a devil do you know what i mean whereas you know um if i do if i do a lot of bad things mm. but i don't do other things because i think they'd be bad isn't it better that someone only those some bad things then all bad things like you know what do you like no I, if, yeah if you if you start putting people under pressure that like you're either an angel or a devil you either do good things or you do bad things if you're not going to do that thing because you think it's bad then you shouldn't do anything that's bad then you're either saying to people become an impossible human being 
I just do all the bad things. That's capitalism. That's completely how, that's completely, yeah. that, that is the complete brain thing that, that, that we all got into. Like, um, we hate, we hate people who are inconsistent and, and everything and hypocritical, but actually everything would be better if we were all a bit more inconsistent and hypocritical and yeah i'm fine with i i am i'm on board with the inconsistency and hypocrisy because it's like you say we all we all do it and I, yeah I, all, all i'm saying is just be honest about it so rather i'm saying rather than pretending you're an angel rather than pretending yeah. you're more virtuous pretending you have some sort of moral oh, well, yeah, you don't, yeah well don't be yeah you don't need to virtue signal about it. like you don't have if you turn down <laughs> RT, if you turn down saudi arabia you don't have to fucking tell people about it yeah exactly <laughs> so just own it just be like I don't want to go on Fox News. That's not part of my team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I just don't want to do that. But yeah. I'm not I'm a better person because I'm pumping TikTok. Yeah. I had it a little bit with TikTok because I was on TikTok. I'm on TikTok and I still post things on TikTok. I might post this little clip now on TikTok. But I did, I did, I played around a lot and I, I, and I did, I purposely did divisive clips about Brexit stories. Purposely. And they, they went... They, they went really well for me. And it was the only thing I ever did that went well, that got me lots and lots of views. And then I started to feel a little uncomfortable at the idea that I, I genuinely thought the Chinese state is, is promoting me to be divisive. And I was like, I didn't get into comedy because I wanted to be divisive. I got into comedy because I wanted to make people laugh. And if anything, I want to be able to make people, bring people together through laughter. And I was just like, this doesn't, like, this isn't right. Yeah. And, and, and it, it's, you know, I'd love to be a full-time paid comedian, but I don't want to be one that's creating more division. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's, it's interesting, uh, Thing that's happening. But I'm still a very bad man, Tom. I have to admit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just to clarify, I'm a horrific human being. I'll get the wrong idea. Yeah. I, I, I wish we could all start from that point. I wish we could all start from the point of like, yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm I ain't shit. I'm not, a, you know, I've got flaws. I've got huge, gaping, giant, chasm like flaws, and that's fine. And so have you, and so have you, and so have you. And we can all proceed on that basis that none of us, none of us hit the mark where, where we'd want to be morally but it's it's interesting when you see because to find a niche now you know, like there's a number of do we call them right-wing comedians i don't know people who are maybe just not in the in the uh super so left-wing orthodoxy maybe is more fair but it, people have like consciously just tried to find a niche haven't they just be like that audience isn't very well served i'm gonna go over there yeah there's opportunity over there yeah, there's, there's lots of that. And do you know what it's like? Do you know what it's like? It's like when a footballer goes to play football in America or China. You're successful, you're getting well paid, but no one fucking respects you. Do you know what I mean? Play with the big boys. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, fucking put in the training, put in the work, and try playing the Premier League, the Champions League, where it counts. Fuck off with your Shanghai fucking United or whatever. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Oh, that's great. Perfect. Nailed it. Perfect. Perfect analogy. Perfect analogy. Um, so, well, there was another story you brought up, which I didn't really know much about, which might be worth having a chat about. The um, 
There's been a the Iran- of, the Iran- yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. The Iranian, the Iranian one. The Iranian story is brilliant. Well, I know. Actually, I need to retract that. It's horrific. Yeah, for yeah, the yeah. people involved, like horrific, uh, and they were like, Jesus Christ, you know. I don't know about you. Like sometimes I go to work as a pharmacist, and I feel like I'm a pawn in a game played by the pharmaceutical industry, right? Um, but Jesus Christ, these people were absolute pawns in a mm. game of power between two fucking ruthless countries. Um, but the bit that I, the bit I find absolutely incredible is this: the money that Britain owed Iran. Do you know the story of the money Britain owed Iran? Five hundred million. The army, they were selling army tanks to the Shah. Yeah. To help, and and the, the idea was he was buying these army tanks to help protect himself, uh, and they they Britain didn't make them quick enough, so the Shah got boosted out, but it, they they had still four hundred million worth of tanks to have delivered. Then Khomeini gets in, the uh, is a uh, you know Islam religious state, so Britain's mm-hmm. like not giving you the tanks. <laughs> 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 and then they're like, we're not giving you your money back either. And and then and then they ended up. Then there was sanctions against Iran. So then there was difficult. Britain then had no. Then for a long time, Britain was refusing to give the money back. And then mm. Iran got a ruling in the Hague International Court to say that the money should be given back. That it, it was it's rightfully Iran's money. And then Britain had a, a tricky issue where. They couldn't give it back because it would be in breach of sanctions that were put imposed on Iran. <laughs> uh, so in the end, they so then they used this woman. You know, they they held her hostage, and um, they they're looking. I think they're looking for six billion of American. They still have American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you an interesting one. You know, you know when you're a kid and you're watching the news. Ireland had a few guys over the years who were held hostage in places yeah. um, for a long time and you know and then they get released and they'd be on the telly and they'd be like heroes and they'd give mm. a bit of a speech and everyone be you know clapping and cheering them on you know when you're a kid like your ego you're, you're like you want to be a hero you want to be you want to be a star everyone wants to be a star wants to be a hero wants to be loved and revered and you're always trying to look oh what, what is the thing I could I used to always think I could be a hostage. Do you know what I mean? I <laughs> I don't have the talent to be a sports star. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I can't sing, but I, I could fucking I could sit in a prison for six years and come out a hero. <laughs> it's amazing how fucked up your child mind is. You're like, well, there's a lot in that in that statement. There's a there's a lot. So the first thing you said was like everyone wants to be a star, everyone wants to be revered. And I was like, that's the most comic thing you've said on the pod. <laughs> That's human nature. That's not. You think? I'm not sure everyone does want oh, to be a star. Oh yes! Oh fucking yes! Everyone, everyone wants to be a star. Everyone, everyone. Like it's it, the, the 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 desire to be a winner and to have status and to and to exist somewhere. Like, oh, it's in everybody. Like mm-hmm. it's 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 definitely it's it's a primal thing that exists in every. Like you know what I mean? I think you know you got your chimpanzees or whatever. And you know they, they've got the, the alpha male, and I think it's it's just in us. Now I think it's in us to different degrees, and I think people learn how to manage it better than other people. And I do think, you know, I think the more civilized uh, you become, mm-hmm. the less you have it in you. 
So I do think as people get older, they have it less. I think teenagers probably have it the worst. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know, people want. St- I agree. I agree. There's a constant battle for status because it is linked to a battle for resource. I, com- I I completely agree with that. But the idea that everyone wants to be a star it's just the, just the way. Oh, yeah. you uh, no, everyone, everyone's got an ego. Everyone wants to be a star. Everyone wants to be revered. Look at it. It's the, mm-hmm. it's the old um, Oscar Wilde thing. The only thing worse than being talked about is not, not being talked about. about. Yeah. Everybody fucking wants it too. And, and teenagers, absolutely. Everyone has it as a teenager, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I, I think the percentage of people who have absolutely none of this in them is mine. It's small. So, so being a hostage, that was like the pre-sex tape way of getting famous. Yeah, well, that was like, that was just, you didn't need any real talent. You just yeah. had to endure, you know? That's like a sex tape. <laughs> like a sex tape, yeah. And, and you, know, you, get a, you know, you get a book deal for a couple of million, so you're financially set up for life. Now, as I got older, I did realize the psychological scars mightn't be worth the money, you know? Like a sex tape. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, no, I, yeah, I suppose, yeah. Like well, sex tape, yeah. Did you see Kim Kardashian during the, this week said uh, her, her advice for women who want to get ahead in business was just to get off their ass and work? Oh, yeah, and, and it, the sex tape made her famous, was it? Yeah. And I was, I was thinking, like, of all the people in culture who've given people the, the concept that you don't have to work that hard to become super famous, it's you. Yeah, that's true. Like, like you're the you're the I mean, Don't get me wrong. I know that to produce shows and create makeup, I, I know there's a tremendous amount of work once you get to that stage. Of course, there is. But the perception you've given people is that just being ridiculously attractive and saying kind of silly things on a like she controls the edit of keeping up with the Kardashians, or like her and her family do. So they consciously choose to leave things in that make her sound a bit silly. Like, yeah, and uh, listen, I, I, I watch the Kardashians when I'm hungover. I like it when I'm hungover. And it's not fucking work. They go for dinner. Like, I can tell you every Kardashian fucking show. There'll be a business meeting. There'll be a lot of phone calls. Then they go for lunch. There'll be a bit of drama discussion. Just fucking eating and drinking. Go yeah. to restaurants. So, and, and whether or not that's true, that's the projection you've chosen to give the world. Yeah. So when you're getting on your moral high horse about women have to, women, women in business want to succeed, they need to work, you probably need to bring a bit more of a caveat to like, or a bit more self-awareness yeah. maybe to like how you got to where you got to. Yeah, but it, it, to be honest, I think all successful people have it. Um, I, I, there's a thing in psychology that all successful people believe in their narrative, believe in their story. And, yeah. and you, they don't believe it's luck, you know? They, of course they, not. They, they do genuinely believe it was hard work because they don't see the luck. You know, there's so many flicks of the coins along the way. Like, Yeah, exactly. Sport, and, and, yeah. sport is a big one. Sport is a big one because every great sports guy, every single one of them, like they could so easily have had an injury that wipes them out at any time. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and there's plenty of sports stars that did get that injury. But every, everyone like you, Messi, Ronaldo, Michael Jordan, every single one of them, there is, they could have had at any point yeah. an unlucky injury and they're finished. Exactly. There's like, that's sort of a principle of the book, of the book Outliers, isn't it? That like, you have to 
factor in how many layers in which you're lucky. Like you're lucky, yeah, yeah. Born, you're lucky to be born at a certain time where there's requisite nutrition that your physical gifts can flourish. That's number one. You're rec- you're lucky to be born in a place where that sport gets played. Number two, you're lucky to be played at a time. You're lucky to be in a time where that sport gets played. Like you go down the list, down the list, down the list, right all the way to, and you didn't get an injury. And you didn't get it. The time of year you're born has an effect because of yeah. the way the age is. Yeah, there's so many factors to it. Yeah, yeah, multifaceted. But it's just at Molly, at look at, I think, you know, rich and famous people will, be, will always be saying this kind of shit. Um, that, like, and they will, though. They'll always be saying this kind of shit. Like, the, the truth of it is, it's our fault for over, over idolized. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and certainly from a, government point of view like we we over idolize them like we we do revere them we don't go like oh look at that person they're lucky like you know we do absolutely well have you seen just linking that point to the one we're talking about with tiktok earlier you know in china the things that get promoted on tiktok are like civil engineering and uh kids who've made like robots and kids who've like won national math competitions and stuff they're the yeah, thing anything, that, <laughs> anything that helps the army <laughs> basically <laughs> the event of war which is six months down the line but it's interesting like to your point earlier about like what tiktok's showing like it's so fascinating that on, on a very simple level in america and europe tiktok surfaces dance routines and emotional confessions and like they're the things that oh divisive content that's what goes viral in western countries in china they skew the algorithm so that it's more socially beneficial stuff stuff because that's what they want their children to be seeing that like western kids can see can see that stuff we want our kids to be seeing much more useful things because we don't want to be in a situation where we're idolizing overly idolizing a tiktoker or a youtuber or a or Kim Kardashian. Well, that's what they're doing with their surveillance state. They're they're do it's like it is like black mar stuff in that mm. you they are creating a system where everything you do is being analyzed, recorded, and assessed and graded. And the better you behave as a citizen, Ugh. the more opportunities will be presented to you. Yeah, it's like do you think do you think the only parallel we've had in Western culture is like um during the super religious periods of our societies where you had to you know fealty to the catholic church or fealty to the to the church of england Is, oh, yeah that was exactly that was, that was exactly the same yeah yeah, yeah. exactly the same and like uh, had- do, do, do you know when religion really took off in ireland after the famine of course I, mean, I, I didn't know that, but that, that really yeah that's when irish people became really religious like it was because the, the church would look after you yeah you know yeah, which, which I guess would have been the reason why it was so popular through most of history, which was it's the one element of your life that if you behave in a certain way, you can expect some very tangible arms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They, they, they look after the poor. Uh, also, ah, like there would have been people would have, for work and everything. People would be asking what religion you are. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, it, it's, it's very much... Yeah, it, 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 but it, it does affect creativity. I, like, I know you're saying about people in America, I, I think you should just let the stupid people run off and fucking, do you know what I mean? They're just... 
not in any particular direction, just run, just go. Just fucking run off, just run. get in your way, don't you? They hold you back. Now, I'll tell you what's interesting too. Um, you know, China's having problems with COVID again. Yeah, saw that, yeah. And, and it's because their vaccine wasn't that good. No, they wouldn't, really? They wouldn't, yeah, yeah. They used, they used old technology in the vaccine, insisted on using their own vaccine. And um, it's not, it, it wasn't as effective. I think they had poor take up on it too. Um, mm. So, you know. That's interesting. Could, I, would, I, I would have thought they'd have had just like 100%. I would have thought their compliance would have been 100%. I, thought just no, been like... I, I, don't, I don't think it was great. I don't think it was. Um, so like, you know, keep the people singing and dancing because like the guy's smart enough to do the kind of vaccines, you know, if, if everybody's been pushed into the lab and the fuckers doing the singing and dancing are in the lab, they'll drive the smart people fucking crazy mm-hmm. and then they won't invent anything good. You know what I mean? You have to protect. <laughs> you have to distract everybody to keep them away from the smart people. So that is so funny. I thought what you were going to say was keep them singing and dancing because that improves creativity and that's how you get our mRNA. <laughs> Fuck away. Do you ever meet a smart person like they have no tolerance for stupidity? Like keep no. the stupid people distracted. It's like me, <laughs> like me in a different species, isn't it? <laughs> like when, you, when, you, when you speak to someone who's like properly clever, especially in science. And, oh, man, yeah. and they can't understand you. They're just like, what? Like you little chimp man? Like what are you? Like what are you all about? Uh, on, on my course, there was there's some of the lecturers and academics, fucking smart people, like, and obviously they're marking your grades and they, they, there'd be a lot of coursework and stuff. Hmm. And they, there'd be always some students who would try to do a bit of schmoozing, you know what I mean? <laughs> to help improve their grades. And it would be shot down so fucking quick. It's unbelievable. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, some, I, I've seen a guy you know, he's been kind of chatted up and the whole lot, walk to a lift and then say to the student, you get that lift, I'll get the next one. Because <laughs> he is just, he does not want to be fucking talked to about trivial shit at all. <laughs> he's like, you get in the fucking lift, I'll get the next one. Because he, he's like, you know, he wants to think about the problems he's solving and yeah. you know, all that. Stuff. And that's just like a metaphor for their existence. Like you guys get in that lift, well, I'll get in the next. <laughs> We're going to different floors, <laughs> <laughs> metaphorically and physically. Oh man, that, it actually happened to me once skiing. Do you know what I mean? I, I went skiing and I was trying to get, you know, fucking trying to get in with the teacher, you know. So he'd helped me a bit more, and he he did that to me on the on the. He it was funny. He did it. French guy, he would never, he would put us all on the on the ski lift or on anything, and then he would get on one on his own on the back and have a cigarette. <laughs> he, thought, he did not want anyone fucking talking to him while he was in those kind of moments between slopes. Yeah, it's a different, I think for, st- for STEM uh, academics, it's a different life, because for literature, because I did English at uni, so like for the literature or arts-based academics, they have to have some sort of connection to People. Yeah. And also like culture, because they have to, you know, and even if you're studying poetry from like the 16th century, you probably have to have some concept of how that pertains to life lived today. Yeah. Whereas like science, math, technology, they don't need to give a fuck about. No, not at all. Human no. culture. Just like, I'm just, no. just solving this problem. 
they and and you know they do thing like um with maths geniuses and stuff like they'll they'll get them butlers and they'll get them people to do everything for them mm. and, and i have heard that like some of these people are like they're fucking used like they don't know how to do anything for themselves because all of that is removed from them yeah i think it's like a it's a trait isn't it that um well it's one of the reasons men apparently over index on stem is you have this tendency to be more into objects than people and that can get pushed like an extreme length yeah yeah the lack of empathy yeah lack of empathy yeah yeah like lack of empathy and yeah yeah yeah. you're just like i just i'm just looking at this sheet of paper and almost like i don't care if i eat or or shower or whatever i'm just i'm just engaged in the work absorbing the rationality the mad thing about matt you know like top mathematicians they peak at around about 19 20 21 yeah what do you you know yeah because like writers and painters apparently the, the the equivalent peak for a writer is around like 60 and the equivalent really? peak, yeah and the equivalent peak for a painter is around <clears throat> around sort of 50 45 what's uh, it for a comedian yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is no peak they can't measure the peak it's such a low such a low ebb so it's like technically there is none <laughs> <laughs> Well, they reckon the dip, the thing is apparently the um, neural agility required uh, for math that, that those pathways they're just at nineteen twenty your brain is firing in that way and it's more conducive to that kind of thought. Whereas with writing, lived experience, life experience allows you to produce something of more value. Like Tolkien wrote The Hobbit when he was like sixty three or sixty four, I think. Didn't finish. Really? Yeah, didn't finish Lord of the Rings till like mid to late sixties. Um, and then with painting it's similar to writing but you need the you need the mechanical fluency so all right so it's a bit sooner yeah 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 but the the painting one is is like it really is a case of i I think i I always say to people i think the painting analogy is great for comedy because it's they they learn you're learning different tricks Mm. all the time and then when you put them all together that's when it seems, you know, that's when it's most aligned. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think about life drawing classes for painting? Did you, did you, have, did you have any friends who did art at university or any version of art? Yeah. Like have, have people have gone to them. Yeah. It's like I always thought the first time you do a life drawing class must be, how do you get anything done? Yeah. I don't think it's like that though. You know, I think it's very. I think it's very somber and sober. I just, I just think, I, I'm just not sure how. I don't, <laughs> maybe it's because I don't love painting as much as someone who's doing. Yeah, that. Do, you, do you know what it? No, do you know what it's like? You know, if you've ever gone for like an STD check, or you've ever had to take your dick out in front of a yeah. medical person, like, you know, when they've asked for it, people, yeah, 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 like people be like. <laughs> You know, people be always worried that they'd get aroused. Like, you, you just fucking don't. Because the environment is just so sterile. And, and like, there's no... Like, I, 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 I've, I've had, like, the full works done, checks. Yeah. And yeah. There's absolutely no way anything's going to happen. Because just the whole environment, the whole setup is just... I couldn't agree more. I think for the model, for the model... That's, that's what they'll be thinking. 
just another job. Just, you know, I'm just here, just doing my thing. I'm talking about as one of the people painting in the class. Well, look, it, 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 if the class was full of people who don't paint, right? Yeah. And they're on a stag do, maybe. <laughs> in my head, <laughs> well, our college is just class, a stag do for four years. Right, you're going to go into this class. Most of them are going to be retired people who've been painting as a hobby all their life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just going to be the whole vibe is going to be different. Like, I guarantee you, if you went to one of them as a painter, you'd probably be the youngest guy there. And, which means I yeah, which means I've got a better chance for the model. Yeah. Now, I know people who've done the modeling, too, and uh, said it's quite a. You get a buzz out of it, like. It's yeah. Quite a, there's I, something very. Nice about doing it. Yeah, Uh, if you've got if you've got a physically attractive body, like my no, no, I don't. I I don't think you have to have a physical. I don't think. I don't think they ever have physically what we would class as physically attractive bodies. They they don't go for that. They don't go for. They go for ordinary looking bodies. Like look at you go to art museums. You got fucking the statue of David. He's the only one with a six pack in the museum. Mm. Like all the women Picasso are painting. They're not what we would class as. You know. Art, art expression of beauty is very different than fucking, I don't know, porn hubs. But no, no. <laughs> but like Hollywood. Art, the, the yeah. world of art expression of beauty is very different than Hollywood. So it's very different. Yeah. 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 Uh, there's a great uh, Sam Rill joke about porn hub. I know. I know. Yeah. Oh, so. I mean, porn, uh, that's brilliant, isn't it? About Pornhub being body positive. Body positive. The cat I, was thinking of, I was thinking of that as I was saying it to you there, yeah. Yeah. And, so, and that was why I backed down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a clever angle. Um, did, you have, did you have any more... Do you have one more story you want to talk through? I'm trying to think any more stories. Um, it's you, had the one, you had the one what? about the Texas, Texas Attorney General. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What do you think it is? Well... So his, his position is that uh, gender reassignment surgery in childhood is child abuse. Child abuse. That's what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. And how do they define childhood? Is, there a, is it under 18? Uh, okay. So I think legally childhood is under 16. Uh, right. Probably under 18. In, in, in medicine, ch- you're, you're 12 is <laughs> medicine. You're kind of an adult after you're 12. Yeah, that's what I was asking because yeah, you have adult doses of things, don't you? That yeah, yeah, yeah. When, once you go of twelve, but I, I, I think legally, legally, in I think here, sixteen, eighteen. There's probably a bit of you know, mm. alcohol and vote, and you're not an adult till you're eighteen. But I think le- legally, you can kind of you can move out your parents' house. I think when you're sixteen. Yeah, so I, I would I, I think child abuse is you know that's inflammatory language, but. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily crazy to say an irreversible surgery being given to a minor is a bad thing or like something that should be thought through a bit more thoroughly than just if they ask for it, they get it. Yeah, but it's not, but this is the thing, like it's not a case of it's just asked for, there's assessments, there's all sorts of processes and, and it's not like, it's not like getting your boobs done like it's not getting a breast enlargement either there, there's a whole build-up to having this surgery like of course, of course yeah yeah so there's a whole build-up on it um i like 
the, the, the thing, okay, the Texas thing doesn't, the, the, if you're a very religious person, I can see why you might have a bit of an issue with this because you want, you, you, I can see how you have an issue with all sorts of gender things because mm-hmm. you're very religious, you, you know, blah, 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 right? I tell you what I can't, I can't understand J.K. Rowling's and Steve, are not, Jesus, I was going to say, or Graham Linehan, like people who are supposed to be liberal, non-religious people, I can't understand their issue mm-hmm. with it. Um, so my kind of feeling, I, I, I see it as a kind of a two-pronged thing, either people, uh, you, they're ignorant so they don't understand the science, because the, the reality of it is, like, to say to a six or seven, eight-year-old, nine-year-old child that they don't know what gender they are, like, I know the children don't know a lot, but they're not dumb enough not to know, like, their gender. Well, keep, like, keep, if I had a child, yeah. I would expect it by the age of, I would expect it by three or four to know what fucking gender it was. Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, if the child knows how to piss in a toilet uh, and take a shit, it should, like, it, it you, you, I just, I just think you know what gender you are. And, and I haven't worked in a pharmacy. I've talked to a lot of people who've gone through this surgery. Mm. I'm just like, I knew, and you're like, how did you know? And they're like, how did you know you were a boy? Like, you just fucking know. You know who you are. Like, okay, I, you don't know you don't know complex things about your identity, but from a young age, you know basic enough shit about your identity. Well, I think, and this is, what's, and this is the crux of the matter, and again, let's take the word child abuse away, because that is a just purposefully... Oh, yeah, that's completely, yeah, that's completely right, right. yeah. Let's just, let's just take that element out. But the element that... If you said to me, should you put someone on um, hormone replacement drugs under well, the... So, so, the, so the big thing is, the big thing is uh, puberty blockers. So they prevent... You so exactly. So that, I, that's, the, that's the thing. So, that's and, the thing that's yeah, my, my personal take... So like, for example, like my mum's um, uh, charity, a number of them, a number of the kids who, who come to us now have some form of gender dys- dysphoria or are going through a transitional. So you get, you know, you, you, like you say, you get, you get to see it up close, you get to see actually what it means to people and you get to see how people deal with it in the real world. Um, yeah. And so I'm very supportive, as I, as, as, as I think most people are, very supportive of um, if you're struggling with an aspect of your identity and you need to figure it out and you need the space to figure it out um, and you need support while you do that, like, of course, absolutely. Um, I, I do think there's a, I, I don't think it's as simple as, you know, one plus one equals two, that somebody should be put on puberty blockers or that somebody should be making such life altering decisions under the age of. Yeah, but I do like, it's. I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not saying, I, I know, I know what you're saying, I know what you're saying, like life altering decisions, right? But let, let me give you, a, let me give you another example, right? If you want to be a professional soccer player, mm. you have to make decisions at a young age to go for that. And you have to make decisions that slightly move you away from traditional education mm-hmm. to go for that. Should, I, yeah. like, yeah. should we stop people doing that? Like, there was, I went to school with a guy who left school at 12 to become a jockey, you know, like, 
So how did he? Well, we should be. How does he know he wants to be a jockey? How do you know you want to be a footballer? Do you know what I mean? So like, if we're letting people make decisions for sport, that moves them on a slightly different. I think path. The, the difference is, I think I, I understand what you're saying, but I think the difference is once you decide to stop being a jockey or stop playing football, then your uh, ability to move into a different type of life once you've made that decision is very easy and simple and there's a pathway for it and you're not left with any um uh, consequences of deciding to yeah but so this so this is the other side the the not doing a lot of the time the not doing the transition is far more detrimental to the person because mm. they have you know, they feel so disconnected and lost. Yeah. I mean, they don't feel themselves. Yeah. And, and often they, there can be a depression and there can be different things with that. So this, and, and, and the sooner they do it, I think the more effective and better right. it would be. And, and which, which makes complete sense. And like, and like I say, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing or, or necessarily a wrong. I'm, I, I think it, it just bears more consideration than maybe maybe sort of the popular narrative gives it, I guess. That it's, yeah, that but it... I think that, I suppose we're seeing it from a too simple version, but I do think like, okay, if you have a child, child has been saying from a very young age, uh, so the, let's say, okay, born a boy, child saying from a very young age, I'm a girl, I'm a girl, I'm a girl, I'm a girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Family yeah, all yeah. knows that, right? Yeah. The whole family, parents have accepted this is a girl. We, we are convinced this is a girl then go and see medical. Now you've gone GP, GP, yeah, I think it's good. Send on to another specialist, specialist, send psychologist, psychologist. So loads of people working in this field, blah, blah, blah. And you've got this whole pool of people who know mm. this person intimately and they're all, yes, this girl, right? Then you've got someone on Twitter, doesn't know this person, does not have a, no medical background, hasn't spent any time with this person. And then you've got a judge over here and they're saying, no, that's bollocks. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, 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 you have to trust the, the medical people involved to be making the, the, the decisions right. Now, in all medicine, mm. they'll get it wrong occasionally. But, you know, the NHS has a bucket of money to put aside for when things go wrong. So it's, you know, if you've got, uh, if you need a heart transplant, child, young age, yeah. Right. You're going to go and say, we tell you, right, nine times out of 10, this is successful. One time out of 10, it's not successful. Mm -hmm. You're going to go. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Now, if you're the one that's not successful, then you sue. So if, if they get it wrong, they can sue. But like the, the, the probabilities of getting it wrong will be a lot smaller than the probabilities of getting so the a standard operation wrong for yeah, a medical yeah. condition. So the, the scenario you've just outlined. I think is very easy to understand why that's a supportable scenario. Yeah. That makes complete sense. Um, I, and I think, and maybe this is something we're just dealing with as a society that making that assessment as uh, watertight and expert as you, as you've just outlined it. Um, and, and making the, the conviction of the child and the parent as 
uh, forthright as you just outlined it, then that feels like something that is it's like, like like you say it's a, it's a medical decision. It's not a it's not yeah. A, it's a medical it's a medical decision, and and this kind of thing where like I think people who don't work in health, you know fucking uh, can be a bit cynical and a bit unfair to med- like medical professional take their hippocratic oath you know do no yeah. harm and it's not like <laughs> it's not like there's people doing gender reassignment surgery with fucking neon lights sending out tiktok fucking videos and and youtube videos and 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 hiring a team of <laughs> psychologists marketers to try and gather up business and try to hoodwink people into doing the surgery <laughs> you know what i mean there's not like some dystopic thing where like loads of people are getting tricked into doing it because some guy wants to build a fucking palace. No, people, are, people are getting tricked into doing it, but I think there's a very real... So, for example, <clears throat> I was having... Uh, I was in a coffee shop the other day, and there was two mums sat down uh, next to me, and the kid was at a local school around here in East East London, and they were talking about gender dysphoria because they were like, it's becomes such a big thing in, the, in their primary school. Yeah. And they were talking about how their daughter's are saying they're going through it and how one girl at school has actually gone through the transition and now she's uh, regretting it. And these, really? yeah, this is like a, a real, real conversation I'm listening to like happening here. And these two mums were like, we want to, we, we think it's being discussed a bit too much in school. We think it's being brought up too much. We think that it's being um, uh, offered a bit too freely and it's um coloring a little bit of how our children are, but but they didn't want to vocalize that because they didn't want to be seen as transphobic yeah 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 because they were sort of saying that the 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 support for people the support for the scenario you outlined where it's like this person would be objectively unhappier and feels like they are trapped inside the wrong body and the longer that happens to them and the more their body develops as the wrong gender the unhappier they're going to get that yeah, is a, that is a very very no I'm, I'm i'm saying i think i think almost everyone would be incredibly supportive of that scenario to, and the other thing you have to be careful here too because you heard a third part you overheard a third party conversation in the coffee shop so the the person who had the realignment so you know um Okay, so I, I, I mean, you know, so you could give someone a health operation or something like that, you know, do some operation, right? And they might have, you know, they might have one day where they feel bad and they say, oh, I regret it. Yeah, you know, yeah. Does that, yeah. Is that now the evidence that they do regret it? I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I'm, you know, I'm, so. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. And like I said, in the scenario you outlined, it, that sounds like, the, you know, you're the do no harm. You're doing harm to not proceed with the intervention. Not proceed, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I, I think. I, I, I think the big thing with it is, I think too many people have an uninformed opinion of it, and I think there's a serious lot of egotism um, in this debate, particularly with people like Graham Linehan and J.K. Rowlands in that. They, I think they're, they're very intellectual people, they're very intelligent people, they're very successful people, and they see themselves as very intelligent people, but they uh, encounter something that they can't fully understand, mm-hmm. they can't fully see, and instead of accepting that maybe they don't understand it, they then believe that their understanding of something is, is superior because of their egotism. 
Uh, yeah, I think, I think that makes sense. That's similar to the point we are making earlier, wasn't it, about how no one wants to believe there's luck involved in their success. In every, yeah, yeah, they'd, yeah. they'd much rather believe it was all down to their intellect, all down to their understanding of the world, all down to how they um, perceive things. Yeah, of course. And I, th- I think as well, I, I, I'm saying yes, and in addition, I think people conflate the two. Because I think there's a there's the medical issue of you are doing more harm to somebody to not have an intervention if they are expressing gender dysphoria to the level you were describing in your example. Then there is a separate but related issue around maybe in some more progressive pockets of the country, parents are starting to get a bit worried that not just this issue, lots of issues are being bombarded at their five. Yeah, well, uh, the problem with the problem with parents is separate things. The problem with parents is they don't get enough sleep. So they worry about fucking everything. Hmm. <laughs> that is the problem of parents. Yeah. <laughs> because I get phone calls all the time about parents, you know, about yeah. minor, very minor health things. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, and, and it's it's just because they're tired. Like, try not <laughs> sleeping for a week. You fucking worry about everything. Yeah. Just the, the, that's the number one thing I have seen from my friends having kids. I don't, I don't know if you're the same. That they, the level of happiness they have is pretty much tied to how good are they at dealing with lack of sleep. Like my brother is brilliant at dealing with no sleep. Like yeah, he, yeah. he can just crack on and just do it. And his wife's pretty similar. She's not as, quite as good as him, but he can just like do it. My sister struggles a bit more with lack of sleep and you can really tell and she would admit that you can really tell when she's had her eight hours not had oh yeah yeah well i mean mean, these days eight hours when when she's had two hours versus like five or six you can really like really really tell yeah this is probably why i won't have kids i when i've not slept i'm i'm very uh i'm very blunt and very cutting because i get very much into no i don't want to spend any energy so like the pleasantries all go out the window and I'm, I'll tell you what I did once fucking horrific. Oh Jesus. I once skipped a queue in an airport cause I was tired. Yeah. I was flying from, <laughs> you do? Uh, yeah, I was flying from London to Dublin. Yeah. I was, I, I'd been up all night. I was shattered and I was going home for Christmas and I was just like, I just, I can't queue. And I just thought, fuck this. And I just I walked to the front of the queue and I just, Walked in, stood and waited to be the next person. This was before the internet when you had to do the check-in. And there was a woman with two teenage kids and she started tipping me on the shoulder and I just ignored her and ignored her. And she kept tipping me and I turned around and she said, you're after skipping in. And I went, so what? And I turned around and went back to her again. (laughs) And then she kept at me and I turned around again and she goes, you're after skipping in. And I just went to her, I know I did, but there's nothing you can do about it. So leave me alone. And then I turned around and they called me over and I went, <laughs> so like, so I'm a, without sleep, I'm a monster. I'm a horrible person. You want to see the face on her two teenage kids. They were just like, I think we should leave this guy alone. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say her teenage kids were like, we can do that. <laughs> I do that. It was like, I was just, I, I just, I couldn't, I, I was just, I was in such a bad place. Like I was just shattered. 
I was just absolutely shattered. And I was, I, 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 I and that is where your love of your love of Napoleon was born. You're like, oh I, yeah. I just, <laughs> we 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 little fella, I'm just wandering wherever I like. Wandering around. Uh, it's quite funny though, dude. Like, I I could I could only do that if I'm in that state of mind. But like, it is quite funny doing things like that. Do you know what I mean? Because like, like when you start breaking social norms and, and yeah. stuff like that, there there is fucking nothing people can do about it. No, that's what that is what is hilarious. Like when you see people pushing those boundaries, and you you really get a live experiment of what people will do to push back. And usually, it's not very much. It's not much. It's not much because you just like you just think, well, if you know they're not obeying any social conventions here, like what kind of fucking unhinged lunatic is this? Like, do you know what I mean? Well, I was in December and I was flying from uh, New York to Paris. You know, everyone's obviously you have to be vaccinated and the things and the tests and you know everyone you know lots of requirements to fly. Lady, French lady, next to me in the checkout was talking to like the Delta, you know. American uh, lady and the American lady was like, you don't have your vaccine. You don't have a test or a PCR test. And the French woman was like, I have my lateral flow. I'm a French citizen. It's just lateral flow. That's all I need. And the woman was like, I don't think that's right. I think you need a vaccine. I think you need a PCR and, a, you know, and she's like, no, I'm a French citizen. It's lateral flow. You don't know. You don't know. You don't, you, you don't know France. And this woman had to get a manager and a manager came over and he was like, I also think you need a PCR test. This woman was like, <laughs> this French woman was like, no, that's not, that's incorrect. And the guy was like, he, was, he, was, he held the line up for like 20 minutes. And eventually the guy was just like, just go. Just, just let her through. Yeah, just go. yeah, yeah. It's like, I, 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 go on. No, it's that during, during the global pandemic, when, when it's supposed to be these like, you know, stringent rules or whatever, the, to get around social awkwardness, this guy was just like, just, just go. Just let her go, yeah. I was, I was on a flight where someone wasn't wearing a mask. Everyone was wearing a mask. And, and in the end, they were just like, oh, fuck it. Just, just let's go. They asked the two people, decided did they mind? And they said no. Like, they were just like, it's too fucking, dead. too awkward dealing with that stuff. Um, anyway, Tom, I need to go. Grand. Well, uh, right. yeah, been fun. Another episode of Tom and Jack having the crack. We will see you all soon.